right, so we have come to the end of our series on spiritual disciplines. And I want to just reiterate one more time the perspective that we started with in order before we uh, jumped into these different disciplines, because I think it's an important perspective for us to maintain throughout. Uh, and that perspective is uh, the fact that at the moment of salvation, we step through the doorway of the cross of Christ into the garden of God's presence. And I've used this garden imagery throughout, and the reason I have is because it reveals to us an important perspective and truth about our relationship with God. The fact is that when we are, once we enter the garden, we, we receive all of God. We, we have His entire presence. We, we have all of His gifts. He has given it all to us. We have it all at the moment we step through the door of the cross of Christ. So often we as Christians look at the Christian life, the Christian walk, after we've stepped through the door, in essence, the, the garden life, we look at it as a journey to discover God. We look at it as, you know, as, as sanctification is this linear path that starts the moment we step through the door and then ends somewhere over there wherever God is. And the journey of sanctification is to get closer to God. The journey of sanctification is to get something that we don't already have. But that, that perspective is not biblical. The biblical perspective is that the moment we walk through the door of the cross of Christ into the garden of God's presence, we have it all. Instantly, it's ours. All that we lack is our awareness of those, that his presence, of those gifts, of what he's given us of what we have. What lacks is our ability to more fully enjoy what we have. And so that is the journey. The journey is not to get something that we don't have. The journey is to enjoy more fully what we already have. And that perspective is an important perspective because the linear perspective of Christianity allows for some, some wrong understandings of God some wrong interactions between us Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ where we become competitive with one another because we're trying to get further down the road than our neighbor. Or where we think that God is somehow keeping himself from us and that we have to try to discover him or uncover him. This is not the God that we worship. The God we worship is with us completely and fully and forever. The moment we step through the cross of Christ into the presence of God. The things that we, I've, I've categorized, the things that we enjoy and that we desire to enjoy more fully once we're in the garden. And those categories are simply this. First of all, for us to enjoy more fully the oneness that we have with God. The fact that we are one with him. It, it, this doesn't compute for us, but it's true that we are one with God. And the, the, the pathways or the spiritual disciplines that help us to more fully enjoy the oneness that we have with God, I talked about were prayer and solitude, study and meditation. After that, a couple weeks after that, we, we interacted with fasting and simplicity and service and surrender and saw that those were pathways or, or disciplines for us to enjoy more fully our holiness, 
The fact that we already are righteous because of what Christ did. And we are striving to enjoy more fully that righteousness, that holiness. And we can do that through fasting and simplicity, service and surrender. And then last week we went into the final category of how we enjoy more fully the community that we have within the body of Christ. Something that we have the moment we step in, we become part of the body of Christ. It's not something we can choose to be or something we have to become. It's something that is ours the moment we step through the door of the cross of Christ. And so last week we looked at guidance and confession and how those disciplines help us to more fully enjoy the, com- the com- community that we have in the body of Christ. And then that leads us to today, the final message in this series, where we will consider worship and celebration, spiritual disciplines or pathways through the garden that will help us to more fully enjoy the community that we have in the body of Christ. In our time in the garden, we will eventually discover that we're good at certain things. There are certain pathways or certain spiritual disciplines that we're better at than others. They, they, they just kind of come naturally. Some of us are prayers, and we just naturally pray well. And so the disciplines of prayer, we, we, we enjoy a lot of success from. Others of us are, are mind people. Maybe we like studying God's Word. And so studying God's Word comes easy, and so we get good at that, and we, we enjoy those more fully than we do the others. But the problem with us being good at some pathways and not at others is that we begin to lean on our strengths. We begin to depend on our strengths. We begin to basically glorify our own preferences. The things that we are naturally good at, we begin to think that, oh, this is what it's all about. Because the disciplines that are hard for us to do, we, we kind of go, well, those are really hard, and, and I don't want to do that, and we all like to have the easy life in a sense, right? And so the hard things, we oftentimes just go, uh, well, that's over there, and so I'm just going to spend all my time in the easy life, the things that are easy for me to do. But as we do that, we, like I said, we begin to spiritualize that, oh, well, because I'm good at these things, that means this is the way I should go. These are the paths that I should live in and always do. And I don't have to do those other things. It's okay that I just do the things that I'm good at and in my preferences and, and, and do those things and not have to be outside of my comfort zone. We begin to say that, you know, this is just how God works in me. He works in me through these strength areas. And so that's, I'm just going to stay there. Why go into the other areas? But beyond that, we begin to criticize the other areas. We even sometimes begin to demonize the other areas. And start thinking, well, you know, this is the way that God works, and he works with me in this path, in this, in this discipline. He doesn't in those. And, and then we start looking at other people in the pathways of those other disciplines, and we start going, oh, uh, well, you know, this is where God really is. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're doing over on that path, but it may be nice for you, but you need to come and enjoy this pathway because this is really where God is, right? And we begin to criticize the other pathways, begin to judge their motives, begin to actually begin to demonize them in a sense where we start you know thinking oh they're not they're not even following jesus they're, they're doing something totally different because they're not on my pathway they're on that other pathway over there and and so we begin to look at them as maybe they're just prideful and they're just sinning and they're just evil there's nowhere in the church that is this is seen more clearly than sunday morning worship the Sunday morning worship service has been said but is one of the most separated and divided hours of the week. 
Martin Luther King Jr., right? The most segregated point in, the, in, 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 on, in America is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, he said, right? And why is that? It's because we all have our different churches we go to. Certain Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about a racial aspect to that. But there's an aspect here just within our church as Christians that we have different churches because we're trying to meet the different preferences that individuals have in Christ. We see that people pick church based on where they feel comfortable. When, when they feel like God is leading them to another church, or maybe when they move to a new town, they begin to walk around and go to these different churches. And what are they looking for? They're looking for where they feel comfortable, where the worship service fits them, where it feels comfortable to them. And it, it's not a, that's all bad, but where's the consideration of where God is leading them? Why is it just about their comfort? Why is it just about our feeling like our preferences are being met? This leads to a, a consumerism in our church perspective, where it, we actually begin to think that the church is required to meet my preferences, that that's their job, that the pastor and the worship leader and, and, and the ushers and everybody else, their job as a church is to make sure that I feel comfortable on Sunday morning, that I'm able to worship God in the way that I worship God. And it starts from the first time they walk through the door, but then it gets even worse over years and years after they've been in that church. Especially when a church hires some new leadership and the new pastor shows up and starts doing some different things. And they're like, well, wait a second, you can't do that, pastor. That's not how we do things around here. That's not my tradition. That's not my preference. That's not the way I worship God. Who, who, wait a second, what are you doing? And then we begin to extrapolate out that, right? That, oh, well, the pastor's not willing to meet my preference in worship, or the worship leaders aren't willing to meet my preference in song selection. And so now we begin to demonize them and talk about their motives for why they're doing that and begin to say that they're selfish and they're prideful and they're sinful. Right? I mean, this is what we do. This is a Sunday morning thing, unfortunately. See, we want to have worship in my style, whether it be to stand in worship or to sit in worship to raise our hands or to close our eyes, to, to dance or to just sway or just to sit there and quietly, to, to have hymns or to praise, have praise songs, to have those traditional elements of the service or to have a more contemporary elements. These are all preferences that we have, to have topical messages or to have exegetical messages, to have someone who preaches the word or someone who just teaches the word. Right? These are all preferences that we bring to the table when we show up on Sunday morning. And we expect, because we are comfortable, these are our strengths, these are our areas that we feel like we are good at, we expect that the church service should be about those preferences. And that the church is only doing its job when I'm able to worship God the way I prefer to worship God. The unfortunate thing is this is exactly opposite of what worship is all about. We just sang a song, The Heart of Worship. And what does that song tell us about worship? It's all about what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. See, no other religion or very few other religions in this world would ever allow the worshiper's preference to, be, to determine how their God is worshipped. See, gods are worshipped based on what they require, not what the worshipers want to do for them. This is even true, of course, of the God. When we look in the Old Testament, 
You know, it, it wasn't the, the, the shepherds wouldn't go out and go, oh, man, gee, I got this, this old, you know, sheep. It's kind of, you know, a little bit lame and not feeling very well, and it's pretty much on his last leg. So let me take that, and I'm going to go to the temple, and I'm going to sacrifice this old lamb on the, on the altar, you know, for God, because I love him so much, just to show him how much I love him. Right? Is that, is that how they worked? No. God had a requirement. He said it's got to be a perfect lamb without blemish. It, it had to cost them something. It wasn't just, you know, the leftovers that they had. And yet we come into the service every morning sometimes on a Sunday, and we, we come with the perspective that I'm going to give God whatever I have left over from the week. That, that you know, I, and I'm going to come and I'm going to just worship in the way that's comfortable to me. That we, we come in and say, God, it's been a rough week, so, you know, I'm not going to be able to stand and really worship you much today, but I'll give you what I can. You know, I'm not going to be able to give as much to the offering this week because it's been a rough week, but I'll give what I can. And again, don't get me wrong, okay? That's, that's not, we don't have to understand why we're here to worship. We're here to worship God. And what does he require? He requires all of us. He requires everything. We are a living sacrifice laid on the altar for Christ, right? And yet we so often come to worship, burn out from the week, and just give God whatever we have left. And then if anybody questions that, we say, well, what do you expect? This is all I had. I gave you what I can. Aren't you happy with that? And I think God's saying, no, 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 I want, I want your best. I want, I want the best of you. I want all of you. Bring that. Do we ever think about prepping ourselves before a Sunday morning service? To actually spend an hour maybe in prayer before coming to church? Saying, God, would you help me prep my heart to come and worship you in a way that you desire today. What the New Testament tells us is that we should be worshipers of spirit and truth. John 4, 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If we're going to worship in spirit, we need to be recognized that it's spirit-led worship. We don't do it on our own. We don't make it up on our own. We don't decide how we're going to worship God based on our preferences. We worship God based on how the Spirit leads. We surrender to Him, and He leads in the style that is going to be worshipped, in the position that we're going to have in worship, and the actions that we will do in worship. Romans 12.1, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We come as sacrifices and let the Spirit lead us in worship. We don't tell the Spirit how we're going to worship. Spirit-led worship means that we trust the Spirit's leading as well. We respect the other expressions of worship. You know, we don't look at the person who comes forward and kneels down at the altar when they're worshiping and go, oh, what's going on with that guy? Why has he got to make a big show of it? Or the person that gets up and goes in the back and begins to dance or even comes up front and dances. We look at them, oh, what about a big showboat, right? I mean, that's our ten so often we can do those kind of things in worship. Instead, we should be, first of all, saying, God, do you want me to do that? Maybe the Spirit is leading you to come to the altar and worship. Maybe the Spirit is leading you to get up and dance. Why, why won't we do those things? Why aren't we open to that? I think if we trust the Spirit, then we allow Him to lead us in whatever that worship looks like. We also respect what God is leading other people in. 
Again, it's not about me, it's about God. And we trust that the people that are in this room all have a relationship with Christ and the Spirit is leading them as well. And so if the neighbor next to us raises their hands or comes up forward or starts dancing, we're not going to go, oh man, what's what's wrong with them? We're going to assume that they're being Spirit-led in that as well. And that we would glorify God in the midst of that, knowing that, oh my gosh, thank you for leading this person in wonderful worship. So we, get, we need to worship God in spirit, but we also need to worship, in, worship Him in truth, authentically, that we would come prepared to worship Him, that we would come with the knowledge, of who, the knowledge that we have of God from our own individual relationship and bring that on a Sunday morning and worship Him because of that. The reality is, is that worship is meant to draw us together into one voice, not to separate us. When we come in on Sunday mornings, it's not one individual who is the body of Christ. It's all of us together that are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has one voice. And that one voice is how we worship him together. (coughs) I'm grateful that God is continuing to empower me to get through. (laughs) Here we go. So also, in the garden, as we're walking and journeying through the garden, uh, we're doing that at the same time as we're living in this physical world. We're still engaged here. It's not like when we become a Christian, we totally disengage from the physical world, and we just have this spiritual existence. We have a spiritual and a physical existence all at the same time. But because of that, we can begin to focus our, li- our eyes on, or continue to focus our eyes on the physical world and seek uh, success from what is happening in our physical world. That's how we determine whether we're being successful as a Christian. If this spiritual discipline that I'm walking down brings something good in the physical world, then, hey, hey I'm doing the right thing. If this spiritual discipline brings something bad in the physical world, then, oh, wait a second, I must be doing something wrong. So we allow our perspective of the physical world to begin to influence whether or not we feel happy or sad. That we, we, and because of that, we can oftentimes get really depressed and upset when things are tough. When God leads us down a path or a journey that is difficult and not easy, we can begin to question again what we're doing and, 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 and be really depressed as a result. This, this perspective of physical world determining what is success and not also leads to a a pessimism that we begin to believe that everything is bad when things are going bad in the world even though maybe our spiritual realm is good things are good things good things are happening there because our world in the physical world is going bad everything is bad Uh, you know so often we can do this we can be walking with with Christ closely and 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 walking and following him on a path and our life is just falling falling apart around us and we so often can be tempted to say oh man i must be doing something wrong but consider the israelites their greatest victory their the time when they were closest and and following god the greatest was in the desert right israelites did this amazingly i mean this is what god wants for all of us that we would all Get up and walk when he says walk. Stop and sit when he says sit. Eat when he provides the food. 
and drink when he provides the water. I mean, this is, God desires for us to be dependent on him, that he would offer and give us everything that we need. The Israelites are living that out for 40 years, and what did they do for 40 years? They complained about it. God, why are you so, what are you doing to us? Why, aren't, why isn't there water? Why isn't there meat? Why do I have to eat this bread every day? What is going, you know what I'm saying? Constantly. They are the closest they've ever been to God. They are following his step every step of the way, but they are grumbling about it because of the physical realities of that they were experiencing. We do the same thing as Christians today. We may be close to God, we may be following him, we may be hearing his voice, but our world is falling apart around us and we, and we grumble about it, we complain. It's from being focused, too focused on the physical results, taking ourselves too seriously and thinking that it's about me. But what does God call us into? He calls us into an eternal perspective, a spiritual perspective. You know, what do we expect in this world? Right, really, what, what do we expect? I think we as Christians sometimes think that, you know, we step through the door of the cross of Christ in the, into the garden of God's presence, and now everything's going to be just awesome. Not just spiritual world, but also physical world. That all our problems are going to go away. But what does the Bible tell us? 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that you endure, right? Why? Because you're a part of the family of God now. And this is what we experience. John 15.18, Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. Right? What do we expect? When our eyes are on the physical world and the results there, then we get pessimistic and depressed. We think, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. Right? But God is calling us not to a physical perspective, but a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective, that we would focus our eyes on the eternal results, not the temporal results of today. That we would live a life of humility, recognizing that we are fallen, that we're imperfect, you know, we're not going to do everything right. And matter of fact, this is a fallen world we're in. There's going to be things that happen to us that aren't fun, that are painful, that are hard. That we would, in that humility, learn how to laugh at ourselves. You know, so few of us, I think, have that gift, but it's, it is a gift. The ability to laugh at yourself when you make a mistake. Why is that so important? It's because we... <laughs> We are admitting through our laughter at ourselves that we're actually not that great. And it's okay, right? It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm just, you know, and, and, and unfortunately for you guys, you don't get the opportunity to make your mistakes in front of everybody, right? I get to do that every Sunday. I get up here and bumble over my words or do something stupid or say something dumb, you know, and hey, here we go, there you go. You always get to laugh at me too, right? Which, it's good, right? It's good. May I be an example of you how to laugh at yourself? Um, but also with an eternal perspective, we can have a life of gratitude. We're happy for what God has given us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That we would be able to appreciate what God is doing for us. And he's, what he's mainly doing for us is in, the physical, is in the spiritual realm. Those are the things. I mean, now, granted, he blesses us like crazy, especially in America, what we have physically as well. I mean, the fact that I have a home that I can go home to in a little while and crash on the couch because my voice is gone and not say anything for two days, right? I mean, that's a great blessing, right? That's a benefit that God has given me. And I want to make sure I show gratitude to him for those things physically that he gives us. But if I had no home, if I had no car, if I had no clothes, if I had no food, if I had nothing in this world, I could still 
be gracious, have show gratitude toward God and what he has given me, the fact that I have life, the fact that I have eternal life, right? And we can also have a life of joy because we're focused on the positives and the blessings that we do have instead of focused on the negatives. You know, if we focus on the worldly temporal things, yeah, maybe things will go good for a while, but eventually those things will leave us. And then what are we going to be? Then where are we going to be at? And, and this is the testing ground for us, to recognize that God is calling us to this eternal perspective so that the things of this world that happen don't impact how we perceive eternity, how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive, you know, the future, that we would still have hope. God calls us to a life of celebration. And celebration is actually a spiritual discipline. It's a good spiritual discipline, don't you think? To be able to celebrate, right? But I think we need this. Sometimes, again, we get pessimistic. We get depressed. We look at the things going on in the physical world. Even this year, I mean, consider the fires, right? And all the stuff, people that have been devastated and lost their lives and lost their homes and lost everything. There's reasons for us to be depressed, even about government stuff, right? I mean, depending on your perspective on what's going on, but I think both sides of the aisle are going, oh, we're, this is horrible, right? We're, I don't know what's going to happen next. So when all of that is falling apart, right, we need to practice celebrate. We need to practice this discipline to, to be able to seek and focus on God and what he has done. No matter how bad things get, that we would consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, James says in chapter 1, verse 2. That we would have the perspective that as of Psalm 118, 24, that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This day, even when this day is a really bad day, even when it's the day that you lose your home, even the day when you lose a loved one, this is the day the Lord has made. Can we rejoice in that? Yes, let's rejoice and be glad. And celebration needs to be done individually, but it's also meant to be done in, in, at, corporately, together. This, Sunday morning should be a celebration for us. It's a worship of God, but it's also a celebration of what God has done every Sunday. I told my wife last week, just kind of at the end of the service, I said, you know, it's an amazing thing about Trinity Alliance Church is that it feels like every Sunday is like a family reunion. It's like we haven't seen each other all week, and we get together, and we're so excited to see each other again, to find out what's been going on and how the week went. And it's just so awesome. It's a great feeling, and it should be that that we would be a church of celebration, that when we show up on Sunday mornings, we're here to celebrate what God has done throughout the week, uh, and we'd share those stories. Uh, the, the activities that we do, soups and sweets, what, a, what an amazing event, event that's filled with joy and celebration. The family camp that we do in the summers, again, I haven't got to experience that yet, but from what I've heard, it's an awesome time of celebration as well that we would have reasons to laugh together. And one of the things that I love about this church as well is every Sunday we laugh together. In the service, while we're worshiping God, we are laughing together. It's amazing what laughter does to draw us together. It breaks down the walls between us. It helps us to, to recognize that we're all human beings. You know, and when the pastor does something stupid up front, I mean, it's, you guys kind of, oh, all right, maybe I'm not so bad after all if the pastor did that, right? I mean, that we would laugh about those things together. It's awesome. 
Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. May we all have a joyful heart. May we be able to celebrate together our idiosyncrasies, the crazy things and the silly things that we do, but also celebrate what God has been doing in our lives throughout the week. So this morning, I want to now take some time to celebrate together. And so worship team, why don't you come forward? And as they do so, just to let you know what we're going to do is uh, they're going to come up, we're going to sing a couple of songs, but while they're singing those songs, we're singing those songs together, we're going to bring in some cake to share together. So we're going to have a celebration in this room. Now, I know that because TAC is who we are, that every Sunday before the service and after second service, there's a lot of celebrating going on in the Fellowship Hall. But I want to take that celebration and put it in the middle of our worship service today that this room would be where that celebration happens, not in the fellowship hall, not that there's a big difference, but I'm just saying I, 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 want, I want that perspective that we as a church are celebrating together in the worship service, that this is the practice of this discipline of celebration. So the cakes will come in, will be on the tables. After the songs or even during the songs, if you'd like, you can get up and you can go and get some cake and begin to do that after the songs. We'll just have a fellowship time where you can just mingle and get to know each other a little bit more, talk about your week, talk about your Thanksgiving. If there's somebody in the room you don't know, get to know them, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then after we've done that for a few minutes, then I'll come up and we'll end our service with just each of us kind of doing a popcorn praises to God of what God has done for us this year. And we'll kind of close our service with that. All right. So that's what we're going to do over the next 15, 20 minutes, or 10 minutes, actually, 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, so let's go ahead and stand and continue to worship and celebrate together. <laughs> 